What's the uh, best place in all the world? No, it's not Wendy's. Relax. If you want to make the candle on men smile, invite us out to Wendy's. Like, anytime you want to take us out for lunch, Wendy's is about as highbrow as you need to go. Like, we just love it. I say, you want to go to Wendy's? And my boys are like golden retrievers. They start foaming at the mouth and running around in circles. But Wendy's is not the best place in all the world. Neither is it DQ. Do you ever sneak into DQ without telling your wife? Maybe it's just me. I sometimes, if I'm like on a long drive, I'll stop at DQ. I get a very small blizzard, but I, I, I will admit that I, I throw it out when I get home. So that just in case she uses my car the next morning, she doesn't see. DQ is amazing, but it's not the best place in all the world. And even the uh, pastry bar at Market Fresh is not the best place in all the world. Have you stood there like me? I kind of go into another dimension as I stand there looking at that. It's just, I want one of everything. They say, can I help you, sir? I say, yes, you can. Yes, you can help me. But the pastry bar at Market Fresh is not the best place in all the world. And no, it's not Fiji, and it's not Paris, and it's definitely not Disney, right? Any of you who've gone to Disney know that it is not the happiest place on earth. It's something twisted about our culture that we go to Disney when we have little kids. I haven't been since my littlest Zoe was how old? Six? Five? Four? She was like a little, little kid when we went. And it was such a traumatic experience that we have never gone back. It's kind of a rite of passage. You'll see it if you haven't been, if you have little kids. First time you go with little kids, think of me. And like, I don't know, pour a sip on the concrete. I'm just saying, like, you look at the first dad, and he has this look of terror on his face because he spent his life savings to come here, and he's determined that everyone will have fun, and his kids won't stop screaming. <laughs> Disney is not the happiest place in the world. The, um, no, it's not the Burgers Priest either. Relax with the cheeseburgers already. If you've not been to the Burgers Priest here in Guelph at Stone Road Mall, it is literally the best store-bought burger I have ever, ever had. But the best place in all the world is home. The best place in all the world is home, and that's where you're going, I promise. You might be thinking, well, how could you be so sure? How could you promise? Well, I could promise because uh, Jesus conquered the grave. Uh, let me show you what I mean out of Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Hi! Greetings, it says in the ESV, but it's hi. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Something crazy happened this week while I was um, prepping this sermon. I just prepped it like I always do, and then I started to write it. And before I start writing, after I've done all the prep, I go back and look at my notes to see how many sections there are. So I never, like, make up the sections. As you've noticed, perhaps, you've been here before, I'm not a three-point sermon preacher. I just preach the points that I find in the text. And so before I start to write, I always take a look at how many sections there are in the text. And this week, I realized there are 12 sections 
in the text. I mean, I think it's a very big deal, but I was like, 12. Okay, that's kind of interesting. There's 12 sections in the text. Where else have I seen that number? I've seen it a few times. There's 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, there happened to be 12 gates in the New Jerusalem with the names of the 12 tribes inscribed into them. There are also happened to be 12 apostles, and there are 12 foundations to the New Jerusalem with their names inscribed on it. So all my charismatics in the house need to say at this point, oh, and to make matters worse, as I stood in the back with our worship team getting ready to come out and lead you in this service, we were praying and I was counting how many Easter's I'd done. And this is the 12th time in my life that I have preached Easter Sunday morning. So some crazy's happening in this text. I have 12 promises for you and i think we're maybe on to something here these are 12 promises we can make you because jesus has conquered the grave and what's really important for you to note is that each of these 12 promises from matthew's text this morning have with them an echo from somewhere else in the sacred text you know that i don't like to proof text i don't like to try and invite you to bend your life based on you know one verse taken out of scripture every time i see you that the point i'm trying to make points throughout the scriptures And so every promise this morning will come with an echo, starting in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, I want to say to you this morning that the uh, old way got to hold sway for one more day. And that's it. Jesus died on Friday. Saturday was a dreadful day. I don't know if it's like this for you, but for we preachers, Holy Saturday is miserable. We kind of sit there all day freaking out. We can't post anything because it's not Easter yet. Can't do anything because we already wrote the sermon. You're just like, I can't pray because we don't talk to God on the Sabbath. My dad taught us this. He's like, give him a break on the Sabbath. Don't bother him. He's resting. So I can't pray. I can't tweet. I can't. All I can do is think about how miserable this day was for the first followers of Jesus who spent it huddled in various rooms throughout the city of Jerusalem, just shattered because their Savior was dead. Holy Saturday is the darkest day spent indoors in awful contemplation. The rain that would not stop yesterday was entirely appropriate. Saturday. The Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning was the old way's last hurrah. It was the old way's last hurrah. I'm here to promise you this morning that old ways don't get to dominate your life anymore. Because Jesus has conquered the grave. So you can step into something new. First promise, if you step into something new, you will find that it is fruitful for you because the old way no longer holds sway. Here's your echo out of Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, the law, and all the ways in which you fall short of it is no longer the final word In your life, friend, your future is very, very bright. And if your present feels a little dim, I've got a promise for that too. Look again at verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went 
to see the tomb. I want you to note here that these two Marys are us. They're us. These two women are us. They are walking to see Jesus in what I like to call the in-between time. It's towards the dawning of the day. Literally in the original language, it says lighting up into. They walked in the dark as it was lighting up into the dawning of the first day. For these two Marys, it's not fully dark, but it is not yet fully day. We live in the same space that these two women walked in that first Easter Sunday morning. We live where C.S. Lewis likes to call the Shadowlands. We live in the Shadowlands, so if your life ever feels dim, I just want you to know that that's how it is for all the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. We live in the in-between. But, like the two Marys, you don't need to let the uncertainty of your pre-dawn life keep you indoors. Like, did you hear me, church? You don't need to let the uncertainty of your pre-dawn life keep you indoors. Like the two Marys, you need to get walking to where Jesus is. Here's your second echo out of 1 Corinthians 13. For now, we see as in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know just as I am also fully known your life may feel a little dim from time to time but friends you are on your way to a face-to-face encounter because jesus has conquered the grave you may be thinking preacher you don't understand how dark my dim is and i'm here to say that i understand how dark our dim can be Because I have walked through dark days. And if you are walking through a dark day this day, I want to let you know that even if your dim feels very dark, you are not alone. Consider again verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Friend, even in the dark, you are never alone. Echo three, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Say it with me, church, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You are never, 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 ever alone, for thou art with me. You're never alone. Why? Because Jesus has conquered the grave. And especially if your life is particularly difficult, And we will have people in this church today who I know their lives are particularly difficult. And so if that's you, I wrote this part for you. Even if your life is particularly difficult, you can hold on to hope because the story of Easter shows us that every once in a while you are in for a very incredible surprise. Consider verses 2 through 3 and behold... There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Pow! A massive earthquake occurs. Can you imagine how freaked out these poor women would have been as they're 
walking in the pre-dawn darkness through the streets of Jerusalem, just outside the gate into the wild, outside the gate of the city, and that day was considered the wild. They're out into the darkness of the pre-dawn day, and as they're approaching Golgotha, it is indeed a hill. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have, in fact, trekked to the base of the hill of Golgotha, where the bedrock of the original valley floor Jesus' day is still there. And who knows how close they were to that point when that earthquake struck. Can you imagine how freaked out they were? And why is there an earthquake? Well, because Agelos Garcurio descended from heaven. Agelos Garcurio, the messenger of the Lord. And what's awesome about this is in the Greek, when you read it, it sounds like this angel was Jesus' personal angel. The personal angel of the Lord. And I like that version. Because I can imagine if that was the case, it says literally in the Greek, the messenger of, like belonging to the Lord, the Kyrios. Can you imagine if that's true? Imagine that angel. Imagine his holy Saturday. You know? <laughs> let's go, baby, let's go. Can you imagine him that first Easter Sunday? <sighs> it's time. No wonder there's an earthquake. I could cause an earthquake right now, and I'm just a man. And look, if you're new to church, maybe this is your first time in church in your whole life, you're thinking, this is sounding pretty weird. I just want to say, yes, it is. It's pretty weird. Pretty weird. And just like, just so you know, Christians are not materialists. We're just totally not. We believe that there's more to life than you know, matter, logic, and survival. We believe that uh, you love your baby, because the love of God has been born in your heart, not just because you have a genetic predisposition to want to pass on your DNA to the next generation of homo sapiens. We believe in the beauty of science and of the arts. We believe that might does not make right and that Love's highest expression is not when it focuses on self, but when it gives itself away. We believe in a God who made everything that is, including you and me, to be his friends forever. And we believe the story that our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against that good God. And as a result of their sin, they were cast out of his presence. And we believe that that was a very bad thing. So bad, in fact, that in the fullness of time, that same good God, the Father, sent God the Son, to become the man Jesus so that he could go to a cross to suffer and die in your place for your sin. And you know, like I know, that you're a sinner. Left to your own devices, you always do the wrong thing. You rarely do the right thing. Just check your heart next time you're stuck in traffic. Right? It's just so, so, so true. We are all sinners in the hands of an angry God. And why is he angry? Because he's holy and he hates sin. He can't tolerate it in any form but must punish it. And wouldn't it have been ridiculous for that good God who created all these humans to be his friends forever, had to wipe them all out because of their sinfulness. God did not leave us alone, though, in sending his son Jesus to suffer and die in our place for our sin. He made the answer that we could never make. And that Jesus suffered and died. But because he was God the Son, he did not stay dead, but he arose again the third day, that first Easter Sunday morning, which we commemorate this day, triumphing in his body over the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell, once and for all. And he appeared to his friends, we'll get to that in a moment, and in the fullness of time, he ascended back to his Father's right hand, where he sat down in victory, and that's where he sits even now, interceding for you. We believe that the God of the universe is your cheering section. And we believe that one day he'll get up from that chair and he'll come back to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end. A kingdom in which you have a place, friend. That is what we believe. And in case you ever meet someone who thinks that people of faith are the crazed minority, 
Let me point out some stats. These are from 2019. In 2019, the world population is just over 7.7 billion. Of those 7.7 billion, a full 6.8 billion, meaning 88.5% of those 7.7 billion consider themselves persons of faith. 88.5%. Of those 7.7 billion, 2.5 billion of those are Christians. That means that of the people on the face of the earth at this moment, a full one-third of them are fit to be tied, like we're fit to be tied this morning because Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. Islam and Hinduism make up the next two largest groups at 1.8 billion and 1 billion, respectively. Agnostics, these are those who say, I'm just not sure. And I have a lot of friends who are agnostics, and we can go a long way in conversation with agnostics because, to be honest, there's a lot of things that I'm not sure about. Agnostics make up only 716 million of the 7.7 billion, meaning 11% of the world. And what about the atheists? You're thinking our country is very, very atheistic. I think most of the world's atheists live here in Canada. Because, get a load of this, only 138 million of the 7.7 billion people alive on the earth today, meaning less than 2%, are atheists. This is all based on the Gordon-Conwell University methodological notes for the study of global Christianity 2019. And this is a study that has been ongoing since 1900. So if you're 100% comfortable or you know somebody who's 100% comfortable, 100% comfortable believing that there is certainly no more to the human experience than what can be seen, tasted, touched, and measured, you need to be entirely comfortable writing off 98% of the humans currently living on the earth as deluded fools while you and your 138 million 35,999 materialist friends look down your nose at the rest of us who believe in something more. The rest of us who, because Jesus has conquered the grave, still believe in surprises. That what Easter Sunday morning was, it was a surprise. We still believe in surprises like the surprise the woman caught in adultery got in John chapter 8. Remember that story? Jesus is teaching at the southern steps in Jerusalem. The religious leaders grab a woman literally caught in the act of adultery, throw her probably naked before Jesus and say, what do we do with her? The law of Moses says we ought to stone her to death. Jesus doesn't ask them at first, so they clamor. What do we do with her? What do we do with her? They're testing him. So Jesus says, fine. First he kneels down and starts writing in the sand. They're bothering, they're bothering. He says, okay. Let those of you who have not sinned cast the first stone. And he bends down again in the dirt and continues writing. And slowly, all of the accusers depart, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And then here's echo number four. When Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman... He said to her, woman, I love it, Giveret. where are those accusers of yours? Ephraim, has no one condemned you? She said, no one, my Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She should have been stoned for her sin. But she got to live because that Jesus who received her in John 8 conquered the grave 12 chapters later in John 20. So my friend, you too can hold on to hope because Easter morning brought a very nice surprise 
as heaven stepped in. Consider verse 2. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Do you love that he just sits down? He's chilling. He's so in control. He's so in charge. He's like, this is a nice moment. I'm going to take it in. He's chilling. Rolls back the stone. He's chilling. He sits down. He's like, I'm good. Friend, the point here is that God comes to you. God comes to you, Echo 5 out of Ephesians 2, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift, it is the work of God. Friend, God comes to you. So make some space in your life to appreciate grace. Why? Because Jesus has conquered the grave. And I, I do mean conquered. Look at verse 4. And for fear of him, oh, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Church, your enemies are like dead men now. And you're thinking, who is my enemy? And I tell you, as your pastor who loves you, none but death and Hell, this is your sixth echo, yes, out of 1 Corinthians 15. I can't help myself. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying... O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. you got to say it like you're from Alabama. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Feel thankful this morning, church. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is dead because Jesus has conquered the grave so you can live with confidence. Because, you know, heaven is talking to you and it's telling you not to be scared because it knows what you seek and it's telling you that all things are now possible because there is an empty tomb in Yerushalayim. Consider verses 5 through 6. But... The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Feel it. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Heaven is talking to you. Heaven is talking to you, and it's not just talking to you here. Remember Genesis chapter 1? Then God said, let there be light. Heaven is talking to you. Then God said, let there be atmosphere in verse 6. Heaven is talking to you. Then God said, let there be oceans and land in verse 9. Then God said, let there be vegetation. That's verse 11. Then God said, let there be stars and sun and moon. Verse 14. Then God said, let there be fish and birds. Verse 20. Then God said, let there be animals. Verse 24. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created humanity in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them then god blessed them and what did he say to his people
fruitful. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Heaven speaks and 1,900 more times throughout the Bible we read, then God said, thus saith the Lord. You know what the best thing is about the fact that God speaks? It's that he speaks to you. Verse 5, then the angel said to who? To the women. Heaven talks to you because Jesus has conquered the grave. And it says, don't be scared. I know what you seek. And what you seek, you will find. Are you starting to guess what the echoes are before we even get to them? I bet you my mom and dad know what's coming out of Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for every. For everyone who asks receives, and those who seek find, and to those, i got to hit something, who knock, it will be open. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those who seek find. Do not be afraid, my friend, because Jesus has conquered the grave. In fact, don't be afraid. Have faith. Come further up. Come farther in, considering verses 6 through 7. He's not here. He's risen. Just like he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. You see a beautiful um, push-pull here. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Do you notice that they left me like a spitting place right here? It's like a little spot where the Pentecostal in me can have its full expression. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Friend, Easter invites you into the game. Oh, oh, only my dad knows this one. Woo, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 118. Come, says the Lord. Come and see. Go and tell. Well, when does he say go? Well, he says go in Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Friend, stop it with the sitting on the sidelines. No more sitting on the sidelines. You've been invited to the game because Jesus has conquered the grave. So don't waste any more of your life and worship the risen Jesus every chance you get like we see happening in verses 8 through 9. So... They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples, and behold, best day of their lives. Jesus met them and said, Hi! And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. I want you to notice a few things. They departed quickly. Fear and joy drove them, and they ran to tell the disciples. My tie is driving me crazy. You know what Christianity is supposed to look like? Like a bunch of running, freaked out, joyful people telling everyone they can about their Jesus who conquered the grave, also their worshipers. Why this emphasis on worship? Um, oh boy, uh, why this emphasis on worship? Um, because, let me read you a little something real quick. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. 
Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was and is, like it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created, my friends. That is why we are a bunch of running, freaked out, joyful, evangelistic worshipers. Because Jesus has conquered the grave and we're the happiest people on earth because we know we're going to go see Jesus. Consider as we close verses 10c. What do we read there? Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers. And then what happens? They leave and the first person they bump into is Jesus. And he says to them, hi. And he lets them worship him. Friends, you will see Jesus. And, and what, 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 pray tell, is um, Jesus going to look like? <clears throat> then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, follow him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God of the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh, tatted up, warrior Jesus. He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to notice that Jesus is so victorious that he wears his own swag to the final battle and he has his name tattooed on his thigh i'm here to say that i could get pretty excited about following that kind of jesus and where are we following him we are following him home how do i know because i read verse 10 part b go and tell my brothers to go to galilee and there they will see me galilee what was galilee pray tell it brings me great easter joy to remind you that galilee was their home and it was his home and so worship team you can run to the stage and we're about to bring it home because i told you we had some promises one the old way doesn't hold sway anymore two you can live this in between pre-dawn time and hope because you're walking to where jesus is three even in the dark you're never alone four and good surprises are on their way five because heaven has stepped in and brought grace with it six and death is dead seven but heaven's talking to you eight saying that when you seek 
you will find nine, and it's inviting you into the game. Ten, where we will become a bunch of running, freaked out, joyful, evangelistic worshipers. Eleven, who will see Jesus in that place you're going to meet him in with its 12 gates and its 12 foundations built on the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles in Yerushalayim, Machadashah, 12th promise, that place you meet Jesus in will feel just like home, the best place in all the worlds because Jesus conquered the grave.